You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good to be with you as we continue our series called God's Companions, where we're talking about everything that happens around the Lord's table, around the communion table, almost everything that happens here teaches us almost everything we need to know about God, about humanity, and God and humanity together. I said this last week, and I'm going to say this for the next couple of weeks. God has given us everything that we need to worship him, to be his friends, and to eat with him. That's what companion literally means, is to break bread or with bread, to have bread with someone. And God does this by offering us the body of Christ in three different ways. Jesus the church, and the Eucharist, or Holy Communion, being around the Lord's table. Last week, we talked about how God's abundance can sometimes be so overwhelming that we turn. And we talked about how sin can be understood as either lack of imagination or not trusting that God is God. So lack of imagination or believing that scarcity is true, that there really isn't enough, that God isn't enough. So the invitation has been made, right? When we gather around the table, we say Christ invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, lack of imagination or belief that scarcity is true. Christ invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and who seek to live in peace with one another. And then uh, the presider at the table, or in the United Methodist Church, the presiding elder will say, therefore let us show signs of peace and reconciliation among one another. And that gathering is what we discuss today. So there's an invitation, and now there is some kind of gathering. Our scripture lesson today comes from the letter to the Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 14 through 16. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in the place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we've been discussing, there are six elements to a worship service. There is invitation, gathering, proclamation, response, sharing, and sending forth. If you follow the order of worship, those are the different elements that we walk through as we worship God. All of those elements are uh, uh, reintroduced when we gather around the table. There's an invitation, Christ invites to his table. There's a gathering where we share the peace of Christ. There's a proclamation where we retell the story of God. There's response, which is you by the power of the Holy Spirit coming forward. There's a sharing where we share the body and the blood, the bread and the juice with you. And then there is a sending forth where we go back full of God's grace. All of these things, it's a microcosm of each other. After the invitation is made, there is a peaceful gathering. 
What does it mean to gather as the body of Christ? When we gather as the body of Christ, it is a dance between the prophetic and the priestly. The prophetic evangelism of the church and the prophetic body, which means that we reveal the kingdom of God. Much like the prophets of old, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Miriam, Elizabeth, Sarah. These prophets throughout the Old Testament, primarily the Old Testament, fundamentally talk about one thing. It's one thing that has, that has two different sides, and that one thing is idolatry. On the one hand, idolatry is putting something in the place of God, and it's a story as old as time. When we go to the garden, remember last week we talked about the Garden of Eden, and while we were there, God gave us 99% of all the trees and said, but leave this one for me. Let me cultivate this one. Let me tend to this one. Let me care for that. Don't worry about this one. You can have 99% of the rest of the garden. And because of sin, which means either a lack of uh, creativity, lack of imagination, thinking that God really isn't God, or believing that scarcity is true, 99% of the garden wasn't enough. We needed all of it, all or nothing. So then we had to settle for nothing. Not totally nothing, but we had to leave that place. 99% of the garden wasn't enough for us. While we were there, humanity... This, this turning from God was the first act of idolatry because, uh, as the woman was there, it says, um, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her. Don't forget that detail. Adam was there who was with her and he also ate. Now, there's nothing wrong with something being good or something being a delight or something to be desired. The problem is, in that moment, it was the tree and not the creator of the tree that was a delight. It says it three times in the text. The tree was a delight. The tree was good for food. The tree was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired. So no longer is it the God who made creation. It is creation itself that is fulfilling that void. In other words, something is taking the place of God. It is the tree to be desired. Or to put it another way, God being God was no longer enough. So on the one hand, idolatry is putting something in the place of God, whether that be money or power or freedom or influence or success. On the other hand, idolatry can also be putting someone in the place of God, namely ourselves, in someone else's life. Or as the Old Testament prophets would say, oppression of the poor. It's idolatry, it's just that you're putting someone in the place of God in someone else's life. As Isaiah chapter 10 says, Ah, you who make iniquitous decrees, who write oppressive statutes to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, you who have widows as your spoil and you who make orphans your prey. You who have widows as your spoils and orphans as your prey. When we gather together as the body of Christ, we are to reveal this prophetic fervor of the church by thought, word, 
and deed of what God's kingdom is. It is a place where the poor are welcomed, where peacemakers are blessed, and where the persecuted are rewarded. And it's there in in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. It is a summary of what this kingdom looks like. And this turns several people away when Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Or as Sam Wells, the author of God's Companions, says, the church as the body of Christ is prophetic both in witness by our thoughts, word, and deeds, but also in our martyrdom, meaning that we reveal God's kingdom not through power and might in lording over everyone, as the Gentiles do, it says in Scripture, but through humility and selflessness. We reveal this prophetic fervor of God's kingdom. But we're not, all, we're not only called to be prophetic, we're also called to be priestly. And being priestly means you are with God's people, you are listening with God's people, you are in the communities. It is incarnational. You are with one another. To be priestly means living in the pattern of Christ's work in such a way that it captures the imagination of the world. It's an infectious joy. It's kind of like this weekend. It was uh, our, my first time ever being uh, uh, participating with airline uh, homecoming, which, by the way, the Smiths now have royalty in their family. Ellie was uh, elected, demanded uh, as, as a homecoming queen. She was chosen on high. To be, I was asking uh, during Sunday school. You can clap for that. Yeah, you, it's okay. You can clap for that. So does she now have like demands for dinner now? Or like, how does this work, right? Has she taken the crown off? Well, we don't know, yeah. Um, but that's awesome, congratulations. Uh, but it was the first time participating with Airline, Airlines Homecoming. We were at the Homecoming Parade, uh, and then they had what's called the Lighting of the Vikes, which I had never seen before, where they literally set things on fire. And right, like there were high schoolers just like jumping from the stands and like running toward, and I wanted to like, stop, what are you supposed to run away from, what are you doing? But they're all running to the fire and there's this, this fear of missing out, right? There's this FOMO and like, it's, it's, it's the community saying, I want to be a part of that. It's infectious. It's joyous, right? Or as Sam Wells actually writes in the book, he says, you know, like that scene in When Harry Met Sally, right? Do I have to explain, I'll have what she's having, do I have to go in detail of what that... It's this infectious joy that you can't help but I want to be a part of that. The joy that they have, I need. So it's not just being prophetic and laying down doctrine. It's also living in such a way where your example is infectious. And people want to be a part of it. Or as, again, as Sam Wells says, priestly evangelism is to offer unself-conscious lives of sacrificial, reconciling discipleship that inspires the watching world to consider the hope that is in believers' hearts. If you're taking notes, I'll, I'll say it again. Priestly evangelism is to offer unself-conscious lives of sacrificial, reconciling discipleship that inspires the watching world to consider the hope in believers' hearts. As we look in the Gospels, as we look to Jesus' ministry, 
we can begin to imagine what kind of world might actually exist where prodigals are welcomed home, where day laborers who have just been hired are paid the same as those who have been in the field all day, a world in which slaves are applauded for taking risks instead of playing it safe. And the church should be this provocative parable in the world to open an imaginative space where we can wonder about what it means to live a life rooted in joy rather than fear. We're not only called to be prophetic of dotting our I's and crossing our T's to make sure that our doctrine is perfect, we are also called to be priestly, to engage in the world in such a way where they can't help but want to follow and be full of joy. Yes, our gatherings should be prophetic, revealing the kingdom through witness and also martyrdom, but also priestly, spreading the kingdom through infectious imagination and humility. These two things keep each other in check. Much like last week when we talked about um, uh, lack of imagination uh, and, and also trust that scarcity is true, the, the definition of sin, how Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane holds those two things in tension. Um, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but not your will, not my will, but your will be done. That prayer holds those two things in tension. Remember, if we only pray the first half of that prayer, we have a lack of imagination of who God is. If we only pray the second part of that prayer, we live in scarcity. So Jesus prays both ends, holds that intention with each other. The same is true when we gather, we hold intention, both prophetic fervor and priestly joy and excitement with one another. That is the peace that we share. So when we gather around the community table, there's an invitation. Christ invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, lack of imagination and belief that scarcity is true. Christ invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and who seek to live in peace with one another. And then, here's the gathering, therefore let us show signs of peace and reconciliation among one another. This is when the priestly and the prophetic comes together. If our prophetic, if we only offer prophetic evangelism, then the peace that we share is so stringent that it becomes secret and hidden, and it's a sign only for believers, and it shows who's in and who's out, like a fraternal handshake. And it creates a barrier that Christ never intended. If our evangelism is only priestly, then it masks the kingdom and the metaphor of being welcoming has gone too far. And in that case, the peace that we offer one another is shallow. Or to put it another way, if we're only prophetic, we have great doctrine, but we are a drag. If we're only priestly, well, then it's to each his own and we're having a good time, but it's not God's kingdom. The peace that we share represents both the prophetic and the priestly being held in tension, coming together, and we are reconciled to each other with great joy. No better example of this than at First Grace United Methodist Church in New Orleans, Louisiana. Do you know First Grace? First United Methodist Church and Grace United Methodist Church merged after Katrina. First United Methodist Church, which was a white congregation, Grace United Methodist Church, which was a black congregation, 
and they came together after because at First Methodist, their members had left, but their facility was relatively fine. At Grace United Methodist Church, their facility was destroyed, but the membership was still there. So they combined under Reverend Sean Anglum, and he said, I knew I was doing something right because the white folk thought we were worshiping like black folk, and the black folk thought we were worshiping like white folk, and nobody was happy for like the first year of their merger, right? And had the great and awesome responsibility of preaching there one Sunday. Uh, and in the middle of their service, they have kind of like what we do in, in terms of communion. Christ advised to save all who love him and earnestly repent of their sin and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us show signs of peace and reconciliation among one another. And they got up and they started mingling and they started talking. And I was talking to the praise band, like, hi, peace be with you. Hey, good to see you, yada, yada, yada. You know, and, I, and about after five minutes, I started to go to the microphone and Sean said, mm, 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 not yet. Like, Okay. So I, I, I sit down and another five minutes had passed and they're still like hanging out, talking. There were some folks praying in the aisles. So, so I, I, I get up to go back to them. Not yet. So I sit down for another five, 15 minutes passes. And then finally Sean goes, mm, okay. So then I get up and I call everyone back together. During that time, it wasn't just a, Hi, peace be with you. Hi, peace be with you. And I know that COVID has kind of messed some of this up, but it was an actual, factual, true community coming together to reconcile with each other, to be invested in each other's lives. They were literally asking, like, how are you? How's it going? How are your kids? People praying for one another. It was this communal sharing of both the prophetic and the priestly evangelism that we are to be as a church community. Now, before the introverts leave, I'm not recommending that we have a 15-minute passing of the peace. You know. But it was authentic, it was genuine, it was true in terms of what that reconciling moment should be in the context of worship. Both prophetic, because all were welcome, but also priestly because they actually cared about each other and their lives and what was going on. The peace we share is to represent the prophetic and the priestly coming together, reconciled in joy. After the invitation is made, there is a gathering. That gathering is to both represent the prophetic fervor of the church, of the kingdom of God, but it is also to have a priestly FOMO, fear of missing out, where the world can see the infectious joy that we offer. Only then will we be ready to hear the proclamation of the word when we gather around the table, which is what we will discuss next week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.